The United We Stand podcast is brought to you in association with Red Army Bet. We all follow United. Red Army Bet, the only bookmaker committed to sharing 50% of net profits with United fans. Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm Andy Mitten and I'm stood on the roof of Hotel Football. Absolutely beautiful day in Manchester and I'm here for the launch of a book, Six Foot Two, Eyes of Blue, the authorised biography of Jim Holton by Colin Leslie. And I'm with Colin now. Now, I'm a bit too young to remember Jim Holton. I can remember going to watch United away in Coventry in the 90s and being told that's the pub Jim Holton ran. I might be wrong here, but I'm going to be corrected in about 30 seconds if I am. And I remember him as being a bit of a cult hero, uh, someone who did very well, and but not someone I know too much about. So I'm looking forward to reading the book, which is published by Empire Publications of Manchester. So support your local publisher, support your local bookshops. Colin, thanks for, for joining us. Why have you done a book on Jim Holton? Yeah, good question. I, I only saw Jim play once myself, actually, but... Uh, I've written a few football books. One of them was about Eric Shadler, who was in Scotland's World Cup 74 squad. And Eric died young, tragically, at the age of 36. During my research for that book, the name leapt out as big as he was as a player, Jim Holton. Having grown up in Scotland, eh, in the playground, very much the song was Six Foot Two, Eyes of Blue, Big Jim Holton's After You. So I looked into a wee bit about Jim's background and I was astonished to see that he died at the age of 42 in 1993. And, uh, did he have a pub in Coventry? He did have a pub in Coventry, so you're quite right there. He had uh, three pubs in Coventry. Okay. So, so Coventry was his final final football club, basically. He, he did finish up at Sheffield Wednesday, but didn't manage to play for them. Injuries got the better of him. But he had a very happy time at Coventry after United. And him and his wife, Jan, went into the pub trade after. And whenever United were in town, they would welcome busloads to the pub. Yeah, that's right. It's the Rising Sun, it was called. Why is Jim's story so interesting? The thing with Jim is one of the chapters is entitled The Nobody Who Became an Idol. And that, that sums Jim up. He, he was pretty much a nobody in football terms. He started off as a young pro at West Brom. He got a free transfer from there because West Brom had just won the FA Cup in 68. There was a lot of experienced pros that played centre of defence. So Jim got a hard lesson in football, you know, he he got rejected. Harry Gregg then picked him up. Harry Gregg had kept an eye on him in the lower leagues, in the reserve leagues. And uh, Harry Gregg took him under his wing at Shrewsbury Town. And playing in the third division, you can imagine it was a tough school. Harry Gregg very much took, you know, you know, took a keen interest in Jim's play. It was a little bit agricultural in those days, shall we say. Jim was, I love that word yeah, to describe yeah. a player who wasn't soft. Agricultural. Yes, I, uh, Jim took no prisoners, and I think anybody who played with him or against him would testify to that. And uh, just going back to his story, uh, after Shrewsbury, he got his big break when United stepped in under the Tommy Dock revolution, if you like. Needed a hard centre half. Uh, a Scottish one? Yeah, well, the fact he was Scottish probably helped because uh, half a dozen signings in the Tommy Duck first three months at Old Trafford were Scots and Jim fitted the bill nicely. Yeah. And he did well at United? Did amazingly well at United. You know, he, he made an impression sometimes on the legs of opponents. Uh, the, some of the press definitely took an uh, instant dislike to him. Uh, United obviously had that 
reputation for being a cultured team. When Jim came in, they toughened up a bit. They had to. They were in a relegation battle, and uh, you know, Jim, as I say, took no prisoners. Absolutely committed to every tackle. Followed his manager's orders to the letter, and uh, often that would result in a yellow card, a red card, occasionally. But I think anyone that played against him, including Chivers, including Super Mac, Malcolm McDonald, said he was hard but fair. You know, men were men back then. Centre forwards could take it. Centre halves could dish it out. They just got on with it. They dusted themselves down. They had respect for each other. What was his high point at Manchester United? His high point was at United. I think, well, they beat relegation in his first season. Second season was a low for him because, they, I mean, they got relegated. But Jim was Mr Consistent that season. United never got relegated because of their defensive record. They got relegated because they didn't score enough goals. They lost a lot of games 1-0 and uh, sadly they went down. But Jim shone through all that season amazingly. You know, Stretford End absolutely loved him. The whole stadium absolutely loved him because he was one of their own. You know, they, they could identify with a player like that that was willing to go out there leave nothing on the pitch and he was a good lad you know he would stop sign autographs talk to fans there was no, no side to him at all just a big honest footballer Why did he leave Manchester United? You'd have to ask Tommy Dockery <coughs> that now uh, Jim well, We his... could do he's still yeah. around Tommy you yeah. know he's yeah. pushing 90 now but he's yeah. still got it Jim sadly broke his leg when United were top of the second division it was a December day at Hillsborough absolute chaos on and off the pitch and Jim was the victim of a bad tackle, uh, stretched off the pitch and never came back from it, amazingly. You know, everyone thought, Jim Holton, he's indestructible, but like any human, you know, the bones can break. He did try and come back a couple of times unsuccessfully. He broke his leg again in a reserve game. Alec Forsyth, who's here today, uh, managed to knock him clean off his feet during a warm-up against Red Star Belgrade and he did his knee ligaments after that. He just seemed cursed by bad luck from that point on and, and never made it back into the United team because Brian Greenhoff had stepped into the breach. And so he went to other clubs, including Sheffield Wednesday, Coventry City. He settled in Coventry as a publicum and life was seemingly going OK and then he passed away after a heart yeah. attack while, while out jogging. Yeah. But, but, were there any underlying health issues? Because it's not normal for somebody to die in early 40s. That's right. I mean, speaking to his wife, Jan, eh, she did ask for a second post-mortem. It was absolutely a, a devastating blow for the family. Nobody saw it coming. Jim was a fit and healthy guy. You might think running a pub, temptation might be in his way. He might be a bit prone to having a few pints, but no, he absolutely looked after himself. And he was out jogging the day that it happened, he, as he often did. He'd park the car up, he'd go for a run on a disused airfield, get back in the car, go home. But on that day, for whatever reason, the underlying heart disease that he had struck and it, it killed him on the spot. You mentioned Jan. When you decided to do this book, what was the process? You got in touch with the family, you got in touch with former teammates. Were they receptive to helping you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a big, uh, big respect to all of them for their role in this book. I approached Jan in the first place and doing the book absolutely depended on them being on board and getting behind it and her and her family have been hugely supportive. Great memories, some great stories about Jim, put me in touch with other friends of his as well. 
Tell us a great Jim story. Was he a joker? Was he... What type of character yes, was he? Was... Because I'm looking at so many people in this room and I know that Lou Macari is over there, was one of the biggest pranksters I have ever interviewed. I've interviewed hundreds of football players. What, what was Jim well, like? Well, if you men- mention Lou Macari, the one uh, very quick anecdote that springs to mind was Jim was actually, in his early days at United, was suspended, was in the stand against Birmingham City and he had to sit and watch and suffer as Lou McCarry got kicked up and down the park. But he made a beeline for their centre-half in the players' lounge after the game and he said, see what you did to the wee dwarf today? I'm going to get you next time at Old Trafford. And I'm sure he did. Good luck with the book. Was it a challenge? Was it enjoyable? Are you happy with the end result? Absolutely delighted with the end result. I mean, a book's only as good as the material in it and the material that the players have given me Every single person I phoned up was happy to chat to me about Big Jim. And the biggest bonus for me was finding out what a great guy he was off the pitch as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. With Willie Morgan, who's a former teammate of Jim Halton's. What, what, was, he like? what was he like? He was lovely. Yeah? He was a general giant, we called him. You know, he had this ferocious, oh, I don't know, persona. And he was a big, soft lovely human being. I was just telling the story. Uh, we were playing Newcastle here at Old Trafford and part of mine uh, playing for Newcastle. Um, his name said to me Newcastle centre forward, Andy. In the 70s? Yeah. He used to be a full Malcolm McDonald's. Malcolm. I'm surprised I got that. Can't believe I can't remember Malcolm. Right. So we went out to you know knock about and Malcolm came over to say hello. And I said, Jesus, what have, you, what have you done? What have you said about Jim? He said, I've not said anything, really. I said, you must have said something because he's chomping at it, but he wants to kick your head off. He said, I never said anything. I said, well, I'll tell you what, you've got problems today. You better watch, just watch your... Jim hunting. <laughs> so this is before the game. This like is before the, the game. The, the psychology of... He played most of the game on the left wing. Yeah, Malcolm. Really? <laughs> so he, you put him out without with a, a few words. <laughs> when, when he arrived at Old Trafford, Jim, he'd come from Shrewsbury Town. You know, he wasn't coming from AC Milan or Real Madrid. Did, what were your first impressions of him when he when he was in training? Did you think he was good enough? What? It, of course. Yeah. You know, it was an old-fashioned centre-half. He was the guy who attacked the ball, and in those days, he played with a sweeper. And it was, it was perfect, it was perfect. He was perfect for a sweeper because he was the one that kicked, he was the one that attacked the ball and let the, the sweeper, being Martin Buchan at the time, let him clean up anything that was loose, he would clean it up. So he was an old-fashioned centre-half. He, you know, he was a throwback to the Ron Yates's and people like that. So, no, I, rate, I thought Jim was great. So his foil was Martin Buchan. Those two worked together well. Well, they worked well, obviously. We, um, and uh, Martin would pick up the pieces, and Jim would say he was the one that would go for the headers and jump with the centre half, uh, centre forward, and do all the do all the nasty stuff. And Martin would clean up the bits and collect tickets to get in the players' lounge after the game, uh, uh, especially the fraudulent ones, which Mr. McCarty was reproducing to wind, wind him up. <laughs> what uh, what type of Andy. character? <laughs> I know you said that Jim was a, a lovely guy. Was he, he was. was he a joker? Was he a drinker? Was he no? You know? He was a big. He was just a big, happy, intelligent. Thing. You know what's a... intelligent. 
He's a centre-half. Right. Give me a break. Oh, well, Buckham was intelligent. He must have told you that himself. Right, he was. Um, I bumped into him last week, Mr. Did Buchan. You? Oh, OK. Yeah, walking uh, into the game. Yeah, right. And uh, moving on, <laughs> no, Jim was... Um, no, Jim was it. He was just a big... Happy lad who thought he'd won the pools. He'd right. come from Shrewsbury, Man United. He's now playing for Scotland. He's won the pools. But he was inoffensive. He, was, he, he wasn't worldly. You know, most of us, we could live on the streets. He wasn't like that. He was just a big, nice person. And Doc took advantage of that when he was getting rid of him. Really? Yeah. Should Doc he, was nasty. Was he? Yeah, really nasty. Should have should have kept him well, it's not a point you should have kept him it's the way he, he did it with like, lots of you know yeah. without going through all the history of, of Doherty and the players that he nailed uh, it's the way he did it it's not getting rid of someone you know if it didn't fit into your plans okay that's okay it's the way he, he, he did it and to do Jim Jim wasn't capable of well none of us was in the end we all thought we were but he was very clever so I'm glad this is done now for him I used to give him a lift when we were up to play for Scotland. He lived in Les Mahago, which was on the way to Glasgow. And he used to always say, can I have a lift? So I used to pick him up and drop him off on the Saturday night because we didn't go to Largs till the Sunday morning. Uh, we stayed in the Central Hotel in Glasgow. And it was only like 20 minutes from the hotel. So I used to drop him off at his mum's and then he'd join us on the Sunday morning and then bring him back, of course. So. So I spent a lot of time with him. I liked him, obviously, I liked him very much. Um, and I hope, I hope the book's successful. I hope it's successful with his family. And it's a nice memory. Must have been an incredible shock when you heard that he passed away at such a young age. I can't believe it. But it's the same with anyone at that age. It's hard to believe. The only, the only thing that, that makes it a little bit easier is the fact that we live so far apart, so you're not... You know, if I was seeing him every day or, or I'd think it'd, it'd be much harder. But the fact that he, I hadn't seen him for quite a few years and uh, and then someone says, oh, Jim's passed. No. It's difficult. You both had great songs. Two of the best. Two of the very best. Yeah. Uh, Willie, Willie, Willie Morgan on the wing. wing. Mm-hmm. And Six Foot, Two Eyes of Blue. Yeah. Um, must yeah, have been a different. buzz listening to that Stretford end of the but scoreboard. The one, the, you know, the great thing from me, uh, from my point of view, my seven years here, that when we came on the pitch at Old Trafford, that was the first song they always sang. We got with them all in the wing, yeah. And yeah, of course it's a great buzz. It makes you, makes you want to give 150%. Not that you wouldn't anyway, but it, it just made you feel really, really good. So... And, you know, they're working-class people, just like we were, and they're paying their money, and it, it was great. It was great to do something for them. And even to this day, you know, when I'm trying... <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> many old people I don't remember. So, and it is nice. They're just nice people. You know, the old supporters, the Stretford end, amazing. Lovely to talk to you, and great that you're looking so well. What are you doing now? You're still playing golf? Still playing golf every day, Andy. Uh, in what fact, you play off now? I'm off seven. Um, and planning a weekend, because I've never been to Barcelona. So you're going to get in touch with me? I've never been, honestly. Uh, yeah. And I'll look after well. you. Well, 
my um, my friend uh, he, he runs the Hilton hotels, and so we're going to he's taking us over to stay at the Hilton. And he's, he's been before many times, so and I've never been to Barcelona. It's a great city, and I still think they've got the along with Pelé, the greatest place ever lived. Messi, yeah, yeah. He just I never thought in my my lifetime I'd see anyone better than Pelé. I mean, of all of us who. You know, the specialists at this special. Pelly was, he was a freak. He was so good. But this guy is amazing. Even for someone like me watching him, he is absolutely amazing. Thank you. If you, I'm with Jim McCallion. How many games did you play for United? I'm not 100% sure, Andy. I think it was maybe just over 40. What years were you at Old Trafford? I was at Old Trafford, uh, 74, 74 to 75. I'd, uh, unfortunately, I had a bust up with the assistant manager, uh, and that was it. Uh, Who was the assistant manager? Tommy Kavner. Right. Yeah, so um, I wouldn't back down, and no that day. was the way it was. Um, so I moved to Southampton. Did you ever see him after that, like years oh, later? Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I seen him. I seen him when we played. Um, Eighteen months later, we played the cup final at Wembley, and on the the Friday um, before the game on a Saturday, he uh, come onto the pitch. They weren't supposed to come on the pitch at the same time as us. We were already there, the Southampton team. And he made a beeline for me with some of the boys. And Stuart Pearson was my kind of pal at Man U. Yeah. And, and, of course, Willie and me, Louie and Alex and them. But the thing was, um, he come on and he, he come up to me and he says, uh, he says, you should be playing for us tomorrow, meaning I should be playing for United. And I says, I'm not playing for you tomorrow. I says, we're going to beat you. He says, you're a playboy, you're a playboy, nothing but a playboy. And you but, did beat him. Yeah, we did. You know, we were. The thing was, Andy, we were very content with what was going on, and we had a few rumours. There was a wee bit of uh, uh, controversy in uh, the United camp, so you know, we played on that. And Wembley's a place so, where a lot of people get lost, Andy. They don't perform to what they they would do in, in you know in the league. So you'd heard before the '76 Cup final that. The United camp wasn't a particularly happy place. No, there was a, problems with different things, so it was a bit controversial, but then again, you take an edge. Yeah. You know, even back then, you know, everybody thinks they just do it now, but we used to do it back then. Uh, I should ask on behalf of generations of Reds a little bit older than me, because I was only three years old in the 76 Cup final. Uh, was Bobby Stokes' goal offside? No. No? No, never in a million years. So, but I, I, you know, United is some kind of place, Andy. You know, it's. Uh, I always wanted to play for Manchester United. Um, Why? A lot of my heroes were there. Well, looking from afar in Glasgow, they were they were a glamorous club. They had Dennis, they had Bobby, and then of course George and all the other players that that were coming along. Mr. Crerand was from Glasgow. Paddy Crerand. Obviously, when Paddy went down, I, m- I remember watching the, the FA Cup final when they played Leicester, and Paddy was brilliant that day. And I, match. I couldn't wait to, you know, I was really happy for him because I think he, had, he didn't settle in so quick, but in the Cup final, he, he showed what a great player he is. 
what was it like playing at Old Trafford in the 70s? It's probably the era when the atmosphere was probably at its very best. Yeah, oh, it was quite amazing. What used to make me laugh was the doc used to keep us in the dressing room and he wouldn't let us go out till the very last minute and we'd all dying to get out and get warmed up and get doing a wee bit and feel the atmosphere and he'd just keep us there and keep us there and then what he, his interpretation was you know, let them hear the roar when we come out because we used to walk right across the centre line and wave to the crowd and that got the whole place buzzing so it, was, it definitely worked well, didn't he play in a lot of losing sides with United? I think I was maybe on the losing side about twice, maybe three times at most. What was Jim Holton like? Don't believe a word he said. <laughs> Jim Holton was a big, lovely, mischievous guy. He was mischievous. There's no, what, that's my what, opinion. What, of what a prankster? Did he hide yeah, your socks? Did he, yeah, what did he, was, he do? Did he steal he your shoes? Anything, do anything like that. He, he'd do anything for a laugh and... Uh, but good in the dressing room and, you know, he'd wind people up and that. And because he was such a, a big guy, like, you know, nobody kind of took offence with him. If it was somebody else, there'd probably be a, a bit of a fight going on, but that, that didn't he, Was happen. he big and hard or big and soft? No, he was big and hard. Was he? Oh. So you couldn't mess around oh, with him? No. no, no, no. Did you see anyone cross him? Uh, probably tried a few times, but got out uh, uh, kind of distance from him so that they didn't get a clip around the ear but I wouldn't say he was an aggressive guy like that but just because of the sheer size you thought well I better be careful what I say Whereabouts in Glasgow are you from? And where I'm was from you... the Gobbles in Glasgow So you're Mr Creran territory Yes, Paddy was just around the corner from me And it's a world that no longer exists? I no, mean... it's all taken away My old house is gone years ago And where was Jim yeah. from? Um, Jim, but they, I'm not sure. No. I think there was a lot of Scottish players. Uh, oh, there was three in each team, Andy. Yeah. Uh, all the teams in the first division had at least three. The United had more than most, didn't they? It was uh, incredible. Uh, it was, you know, it was, uh, you know, we, we used to say back then the, the, the English clubs would turn left and go up to, uh, to Scotland for players, whereas now they, they don't do that quite as much. We appreciate the support of our sponsors, including Harry's. Harry's story is that for decades, one big razor company relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of their customers. So Jeff and Andy, two ordinary lads who were fed up with getting ripped off, started Harry's to fix shaving. Harry's knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. By taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers their blades at half the price. They're amazing quality blades, are half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Well, what do you get with Harry's? Harry's razors include everything you need for a close shave. You get a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, a rich shave gel and a travel blade cover. We've got an offer for United We Stand listeners where you can... Get started shaving with Harry's today and claim a trial set for just £3.95. So you can support our podcast, get your trial set delivered to you, including the razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash united right now. That's harrys.com forward slash united.
I'm with Lou Macari, who was a former teammate of Jim Holton. Jim, you. Hold on. Lou, what, what, what was Jim like as a person? Um, gentle giant, good fun, um, good player. I mean, six foot odd, six foot two rather. Um, eyes of what? Eyes of blue. He, what, he had blue eyes. And you were scared if he was after you. Did he have blue eyes? <laughs> he did, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah right. <laughs> Let's keep that anyway. Um, good lad. Good lad. And um, loved every minute of his time at Manchester United. Realised what it was all about. Wanted to play for Scotland, which he achieved. But didn't achieve enough in the game, obviously, because we didn't have him here long enough. There's an incredibly strong Scottish presence in that mid-70s United side. Why? Well, obviously, there's a lot of good Scottish players and, and United and all the teams in England used to spend most of the time north of the border at the games. Um, different nowadays, obviously, because well, we're lacking, we're lacking in quality. Why did a country of five million produce so many top footballers? Because we were all naturally wanted to be footballers. We were all naturally had the ball control and things that you needed to be a footballer. Why? Uh, because we were foot all football daft. So that's, that comes from street football? That comes from street football, without a doubt. If there was a game on the telly, we'd all be indoors, not wanting to miss it. We'd all be talking about it at schools, a game on the telly tonight. And we were just, um, well, we were just football daft. Does it sadden you as a Scot to see the international team far weaker? Um, it saddens me that, that during my time in football and I was fortunate with Scotland to go to a World Cup that uh, the manager who was a manager of Scotland at the time Ali McLeod had um, had available probably 200 genuine candidates to be in that that final World Cup squad and I mean 200 300 genuine people who were playing in football in England and who were all sort of recognised by other people not just Scottish people but as, as good footballers and now I saw the last game against San Marino. Saw the game before that, um, which was a bit of a disaster. But even the San Marino game where they won, um, it's a bit frightening to watch what I was watching. There is, there is obviously a lack of, um, of natural talent in Scotland now because when I was there as a player, the teams won the European Cup, Celtic won the European Cup way back in the 60s. Um, that's not going to happen anymore in Scotland. What did you think as an established international player playing for Manchester United when a defender arrives from Shrewsbury Town? Was he good enough? Didn't when... think anything of it at the time. Really? Wasn't... Not, not at all. Didn't think anything of it because, because there was players, as I say, there was players north of the border that were good enough. The place was flooded with Scottish people. There was players across the water in Ireland that used to come across every end of the season and busloads and, and then train at the cliff to see who was good enough. And Jerry Daly told me that when he came over and was met by Norman Davis at Manchester Airport, he, he just came through arrivals smoking a cigarette and it's just unbelievable that Norman said, you, you better not be smoking because it doesn't send a, a good image out to the, to the manager. He said, I'll fucking smoke what I want and <laughs> carried on smoking. <laughs> well, I think that was that lovely naivety that was around at the time. And, you know, the, the players that I played with at Manchester United and, and at Celtic and players in general, they were brilliant, they were lovely, they were great to be part of. 
I'm not so sure that's what it's like nowadays. No, I know it's not what you it's had a like. Laugh. You, had, a you laugh. had an unbelievable laugh. Every day, just having a laugh. Every, every day, Smiling, joking. every week, uh, events that took place. Um, we did all sorts of things. We press lads and... And did you were close terrible. to journalists, weren't you? We, we, we were so close. After a game, if we had won, we used to go to a pub along the road and sail yeah. and sit there, and every journalist that was at the game reporting on the game was invi- not, wasn't invited along, just knew that he could come along and sit down there with us, and, and we would buy them drinks, because they're always miserable, the press lads, as you know. <laughs> buy them drinks and have a bit of banter. And without even saying anything, there was an understanding that don't go and misquote us. Don't go and say this or that that we haven't said because you won't survive. And and I think it's fair to say that, that the majority the majority did that. They went along with us and, and they sat there and they listened to what we were talking about. And if anything had happened in the dressing room before the game or at half-time, we wouldn't be hiding it from them. And, and they'd put it across to the public who love stories about the team. They'd put it across to the public in a way that was acceptable. And that made the supporters a lot closer to you already. Although they weren't at the pub and sale, in actual fact, they were because... It's really interesting, and, you know, as a journalist, you get your best stuff from the people you know best, and now there's, there, there can be a mistrust between... I mean, I, I know a lot of players because I've made it my business to know that and to do it for 30 years, but I can see if you're coming into as a journalist now, it's almost impossible because there's so many people around them pr- protecting the players. And, and when, the, when agents are sanctioning interviews, basically taking out anything that's interesting. Yeah, I've got to say, and if, I was, if I was a player nowadays and I was sort of, that's the way I had to behave with the journalists and all and everybody else connected with football, I wouldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'd be thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm big enough, although I'm not big enough for anything, but I'm big enough to look after myself. I'm big enough to know who I should speak to and who I shouldn't speak to. And I'll, I'll lose confidence in that person if and when he lets me down. It just ends up all going off the record. So a player will come in on the record, be very yeah. safe what he says, and then off the record will say, I can't believe how bad you, know, you were today or your team were today. And, and it's a shame that it's come like that, but the media haven't helped by taking words they say out of context or, you know, just twisting what they're saying. Well, especially nowadays with it being, uh, football being like it is, so much money involved, so many people involved. When I left Celtic to come to Manchester United, I made my way in the back of a car with my assistant manager, no agents, no nobody, didn't know what to say to Bill Shankler when I first met him at Liverpool. I was crapping myself. And then eventually met Tommy Dock. And I got no advice because I was—I thought I was smart enough to think myself. Do I yeah. want to play for Manchester United? And as a result, as a result of doing that, I did do. All right, well. Don't believe So I did, uh, and um, completely different, Andy. I find on on social media one of the most interesting relationships and friendships is yours with Ryan. <laughs> Ryan is from Gorton. Right. Right, I like that. Yeah. Right. Ryan is nuts. I like yeah. that as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ryan is down to earth. I like yeah. that as well. Yeah. Ryan is a little bit misguided, so I try to at times, okay. I try to at times keep him straight because he messaged me. Okay. That, am I saying the right thing? Yeah, he messages you are, yeah. me, yeah. Because yeah. I'm not that yeah. great on Twitter. So I messaged him back with, 
sometimes the truth instead of what he's yeah. blabbing about. Yeah. And um, I found, without really knowing him inside out, I found that that because uh, I've done it, I've, I, I can trust him. Yeah. So a bit yeah. like the old days in football. Yeah. He's in a position of of trust. And he's in a position where if he lets me down yeah. and come out on Twitter and said, I've just spoken to Lou McCary, yeah. he said, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has said this and it's not true, he's gone. But what? it won't happen because he's reasonably sensible. All the things you've said, I agree, <laughs> but he's also very funny. Some of the things he has done. So I'll say this because it's easier for me to say it than you. When Brian McFadden, who was a singer in Westlife, was looking for a burglar at his house. I think it was some, like, an overweight burglar. And Ryan got in touch with him and said, I know who it is, I can help you. And Brian McFadden sent him a private message and Brian just sent him one back with a picture of Kerry Katona, his ex-wife, and then you see him next getting blocked. <laughs> or when he says to Neville Southall, I'd love you to kick a football straight into my balls. I mean, you, I'm just reading that thing. I was worse than that from him. Yeah, and you I see, I'll remind you of some of the... Go on, remind you of some please. he sent to me. Yeah. He keeps going on about my jumbo sausages <laughs> that I sell up in the chip shop. Now, I don't really think he's talking about jumbo sausages, right. but he's talking about something the same size as a okay. jumbo sausage. You got it? Yeah. Now, I like it because he's funny. Yeah, he is funny. And I like funny people. I've yeah. said out... Don't forget, Andy, have you forgotten in management I signed a circus clown? Yeah, I remember right? that. Right? So I took I a circus that. clown on board. That was that was one of the most beautiful pieces of television I've ever seen. And it won awards, didn't it? It did, it won a BAFTA. And it was amazing. I, I've advised Manchester United, or not advised them. To sign a clown? No, no. So you're saying no. they've signed Sanchez because he wants to sign a clown? Now, no, now we're talking red no, I advised Manchester United to, to get the film... And, and, and put it on MUTV because when I've been around places and, and doing some after dinner speaking and I've got my circus clown pal with me, I ask the audience who has seen Marvellous and the mainly Manchester United based audiences and, and um, I would say whatever I do something, let's say there's 200 guests, there's maybe only about 30 or 40 what have seen shame. it. What a shame, it's brilliant. So, Alex Ferguson loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't sure because when we were in America, how many years ago it was, um, Alex was in the hotel and I was having my breakfast and I saw him coming flying across the, the restaurant floor at a high you know, rate of knots and I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here. Because when Alex gets up a head of steam to make way to somebody, there's normally a bit of, you know, some trouble or there's been a problem somewhere. And he came across and gave me a big hug and said, just seen your film. My wife told me to watch it. I've just seen it. I've seen it three times now. Marvellous. And he said it was brilliant. Because he can relate to football, he can relate to the funny side. And probably the biggest compliment we could get paid, myself and Neil, the fact that Sir Alex yeah. thinks it's brilliant. Look, people should care about people in the community. And I know you, you have a, a charitable project in Stoke-on-Trent, which you've made your home. Tell me about that. Um... And maybe I should come and visit you and write about You should. It you should. Yeah, I will do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to insist you do, I please. Do. I will. Because um, I started with 14 people, mm. and I was obviously just set out to help them, put a roof over their head and involved the local council to do that, and then maybe to get them a bit of food on top of it. And I've now got 44 um, that I know by their first name and their second name. I know all about them. Uh, I know how they've got from wherever they've got to 
to me in the centre that I've got. Um, and if you get a success story, which are very few, then it, it gives you a, a big lift, gives what you a big do you, kick. What, how do you help them? Um, These people who might have been victim of circumstances, you might have found themselves out of home, they might have addictions, they might have come through a divorce, whatever. You're coming, you're coming out there with all the things that do apply. Divorce, relationship with a wife, um, addictions, obviously, both drugs and alcohol. Um, biggest addiction they can probably get, which causes more trouble than anything, is Facebook. Yeah, really? Yeah. Really? They go on Facebook and the partner is sending them messages of the new boyfriend and and saying he's this, he's wonderful, he's brilliant, unlike you. Yeah. But this is just like you and Ryan, though, yeah. really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's like me and Ryan. You have but... to admit yourself into your own charity. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's promised. No, that's another thing he did. He said he's going to come down and bulldoze... <laughs> <laughs> the building and make everybody homeless. <laughs> no, that's just genius. It's funny. It's funny. <laughs> so you've built up. What is it like a a hotel, a hostel? No, we're in a, a, a we're in a council building that used to be a parking centre. <laughs> so parking, you pay a parking fine. We're at the back of that. We built up the the beds and all that. And there's this guy from Gorton, right? Not nothing against Gorton, but this person that nobody knows. Well. It, talking about coming down and bulldozing us down and making them all homeless again. I, I just like that humour. I just do. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I look after them. I liked it as well. And I showed them all. And they were all, they were all laughing. I'll come down then and write about you. Thank right. you. Okay. Thank you for your time, Luke. No problem. Love Cheers, to speak to you. You need to come yeah. down. United We Stand and Red Army Bet. We all follow United. Visit redarmybet.com or download the app for all the latest United specials and enhanced odds. Red Army Bet, the only bookmaker committed to sharing 50% of net profits with United fans. Listen up, I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. Hm. Instacart for the win.